Well, good morning, Cross Point. Welcome. Glad to have you with us today. And anybody listening to this live stream broadcast, welcome. If you don't know me, my name is Bruce, and along with Mike Moran, I serve as one of the preaching and teaching pastors here at Cross Point. Uh, I just want to tell you right up front that we're going to be taking communion right at the end of this message, and so you're going to want to get the elements prepared for that. And then I want to remind you that uh, look at our webpage, look at our Crosspoint News each week for updated information, and on that page you'll find ways of getting these live streaming links out to your friends and family and loved ones so they can join us as well. Well, welcome to Palm Sunday. This is that Sunday in which Jesus entered into Jerusalem. Uh, and, and as he did, riding on that donkey, he was greeted by people and palm branches lying down in the road in front of him as he passed by the crowd shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, glory to the God all highest. And, and then, you know what? By Friday, these same fickled people were shouting, crucify him crucify him and he's hanging on a tree but he didn't remain dead and that's what resurrection sunday is all about that's next week we hope that you'll tune in at the same time as we remember our lord and savior's death burial but ultimately the greatest event that ever took place in history the resurrection you know we celebrate christmas and jesus's birth but the bible didn't tell us to do that but the Bible does tell us to remember His resurrection, His death, His burial, resurrection. And we're going to be taking communion in a few minutes after this message. But before we do, let me remind you of some of the things we've already talked about. It was four weeks ago that we first did our live streaming right here at Crosspoint. Out of necessity, this thing called the coronavirus. Because life still seems to be out of control. But I want to remind you about what I said on that day. We looked at Jesus, and we said he, he's, the, he's out of the tomb, and He's still in control, even though life looks out of control. And then that same Jesus gave us the mandate, and we're kind of making a Romans 8, 28 event out of uh, this coronavirus, where all things work together for good to those that love God and who are called according to His purpose. And that's us. That's the church. Good things can come even from this. So we're to go make disciples and then last week we looked at a woman who was taken in the very act of adultery. And we want people that are far from God to know how they're going to be treated when Jesus comes into their lives. Jesus is gracious to forgive. He's eager to forgive. He's loving in His forgiveness. Now today, I want us to look at partnering with God in this great commission. Partnering with God in accomplishing His will on earth. Um, when I was growing up, I remember partnering with my dad in uh, a lot of stuff, some that was fun, some that wasn't so much fun, but it was fulfilling and rewarding. Uh, ever since my dad took me to Disneyland when I was a little kid and I drove those little utopia cars, I thought I was driving. I didn't find out until years later that I was on a track, but I really thought I was doing it. And ever since that time, I would bug my dad to, when it was just the two of us in the car to let me drive the car. And, and one day we'd pull off of Downey Avenue onto Contreras, which is a rather long street that goes, we got Harry Words Elementary School over here to the north of us, and then we entered into our housing track, which led to Castana Avenue. And it's just a long straight street. 
And so my dad picked me up, this was before the days of seatbelts, and put me on his lap and said, all right, let's drive the car together. And man, I thought this was the neatest thing in the world. I grabbed onto the steering wheel and, and, and headed down the street. I remember turning onto Castana, and I remember how hard it was to turn that big old wheel before the days of power steering. Before the days of uh, anything convenient, it was a three-speed on the column. But I remember as we pulled into the driveway, I ran into the house and I told my mom, I said, Mom, I drove the car with Dad. We were sort of partners. Now, looking back on that years later, I really did hardly anything. I mean, I, my hands were on the wheel, but my dad's hands were probably down here below helping with the steering. My feet couldn't touch the gas pedal, much less the brake if I had to stop, or the clutch. It was a three-speed on the column. I didn't do any of the shifting. I didn't turn the turn signal on. My dad did the heavy lifting, but I still felt like it was a partnership. And as my brother and I grew up, my dad would partner with us on Saturdays to mow the lawn, to pull the weeds, to rake the leaves. Didn't like that that much, but you know what? When it was all done, my dad would say, look what we did together, and it was an accomplishment. On trash barrel night, uh, my brother and I would grab onto one handle of the trash barrel, my dad would do the other, and we would take the trash out together, sort of partnering with my father. And then one day, uh, our parents bought our house, and in Paramount brand new, but after about, I don't know, 30, uh, well, 20 years or so went by, we needed a new roof. And my dad said, boys, we're going to put a new roof. You see that, those pallets out there? Those shingles got to go on the roof. And my brother and I would climb the, the ladder and would carry those heavy uh, sheets up there. And after about three days, we had accomplished putting a new roof on our home. And it felt good to partner with my dad. Well, you know what? Our Heavenly Father wants to partner with us as well, to accomplish His will. He partnered with Adam in the patriarchal age. He partnered with Moses during the Mosaic age. Jesus partnered with 12 guys while He was here on earth. And He still wants to partner with His people in the Christian age. Now, think about it. A partnership denotes the idea of equally committing to one another. So, in other words, if I'm a partner with God, I've got to give God all of my resources, time, treasure, talent, whatever He's given me, but in return, He gives me all of His. Now, who do you suppose is going to get the better deal in this? <laughs> we, of course, get the better deal because God has infinitely more resources than we have. Now, the Bible distinguishes us from all other parts of creation. We are unique in God's eyes. In Genesis 2, verse 7, it says, The Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. Notice that. We are but dust of the ground. And breathed into us, or to our nostrils, the breath of life. And the man became a living being. So there's sort of a two-part nature to man. Dust and divinity. A little bit of both, showing that we are special to God. The psalmist, probably doing a little stargazing one night from the palace, all the lights are out, he goes out on the balcony, and I can just picture David looking up at the stars, and he writes in Psalm 8, 8 verse 3, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. 
You have made us a little lower, watch this, than the angels. A little lower than the heavenly beings. And you have crowned us with glory and honor. Why did God make us so special? So unique? I think God wanted someone he could communicate with. Someone he could work with. Someone to help him further his causes here in this life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 9, Paul will say, For we are God's, watch this, fellow workers. That's sort of a partnership, isn't it? Actually, he says in 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1, the Living Bible, As God's partners, that's the word, share the message of His great kindness. And so we are to partner with God in getting the whole gospel to the whole world. He wants to partner with us in the Great Commission. But not just that. He wants to partner with you and your family. He wants to partner with you and your business. He wants to partner with you and your life. Everything. D.L. Moody said, if God is your partner, you can afford to make all of your plans big ones. I like that. we got a big God, so make big plans. Now, if God is my Father, think about this thought for a moment, then there ought to be some characteristics of my Father that I have and that you have. We, we, there ought to be some family traits, if you will. And, and, and there are. No, it's not omnipresence. I can't be every place at the same time like God is. And it's not omniscience. I don't know everything that God knows. But there is a sense in which you and I are omnipotent. In other words, we are all powerful. Um, Paul puts it like this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Philippians 4.13. All things. Bruce, can you fly like a bird? No. Can you swim like a fish? No. But he hasn't asked me to do any of those things. But he has asked me to share the gospel and to give to that end. And I can do that. He has given us all the power that we need to partner with Him in that endeavor. God has not hung up the phone at the, on Pentecost. He is still empowering His people to do these great things in the partnership. And so this partnership really is nothing new. If you think about it, in the beginning of creation, God partnered with a couple, the first family, Adam and Eve. Uh, he once walked in the cool of the garden with these two and, and met with them on a regular basis. In Genesis 1.26 it says, <clears throat> Then God said, Let us make man in our image, the are there is the Godhead, in our likeness, and let them, that is the human beings, Adam and Eve, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the livestock, all the earth, over all creation that moves on the ground. And so, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female created he them. And so, uh, if you look at this early uh, time in history on our planet, God partners with this couple. And, and before Eve was created, Adam was here all alone. And, and it seems like God says, I still want to be your partner, just the two of us right now. And God's part was to what? Create the world. Uh, for example, he mentions all these animals here 
And, and so God creates the animal, but God says, Adam, here's your part on earth. You name the animals. And so Adam gets busy, lion, tiger, and bear, oh my, you know, and, and fish, and, and, and I'll, I'll call this a, a salmon, and this one here I'll call a catfish. And He just started naming stuff. Uh, God says, I'll create the rivers. You name the rivers. In, in the Garden of Eden, you'll, you'll read four rivers, great rivers that flowed through this garden, the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. Who named them? Adam did. So they partnered in the beginning, the very beginning of time on earth. And then God moved from family worship to nation worship. And he, and he had this special covenant with a nation called Israel. It goes all the way back to the days of Abraham and Sarah. And uh, uh, they have Isaac and Jacob. And Jacob has 12 sons. And, and, and they begin to be fruitful and multiply. And then a famine hits. And then Joseph's in Egypt. And so they come on down to Egypt. And they start flourishing in the land of Goshen. And they begin to be fruitful and multiply. And they're, up, they're uh, in upwards of two, two and a half million, some estimate. And then a new Pharaoh arises that knew not Joseph. He really, if he knew Joseph, he didn't care about the history of Joseph. All he sees is this nation growing probably stronger than Egypt in time. And so he makes slaves out of them. That's the background to this next verse. Exodus chapter 3, verse 21. Israel is released from this captivity because they have a partner. Exodus 3.21, And I will make the Egyptians favor, favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Israel is about to leave Egypt, but when they leave, they're going to get a big payday. They've worked for some 400 years, and God says, you're not going to leave empty-handed. Every woman is to ask of her neighbor. And any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold for clothing, which you will put on your sons and your daughters, and you will plunder the Egyptians. They got a big, huge payday because they had a big, huge God. Wouldn't you love to have a partner like that in this life? And then we see Israel's blessings. They're now into the wilderness, and um, Moses is their leader, and he writes these words in Deuteronomy 7, verse 12. If, this is a conditional promise, if you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep His covenant of love with you as He swore to your fathers. He will love you. He will bless you. He will increase your numbers. He will bless the fruit of your womb, the crops of your land, your grain, new wine and oil, the calves of your herds, and lambs of your flock in the land that He swore to your forefathers to give you. You're going to be blessed there more than any other people. It's a condition. It's based on the condition of being a partner with God. And God still wants to be partners with you. In Exodus 34, 24, He says, now here's the deal. Once you go into the promised land, that land flowing with milk and honey, don't forget me. Three times in a year, I want the butcher, the baker, the candlestick maker, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, stop and come to Jerusalem. And let's have a big barbecue. Let's have a big party together. Let's have a big feast together. Remember me. Keep the partnership going. And that's exactly what happens. But you can almost hear 
the thought process of God's kids saying, well, you know what? I've accumulated a lot of stuff while we've been here in this promised land. And what's to prevent my enemies, my neighbors, to come and take my things or my crops or my livestock while I'm gone? And God says, don't worry about that. You just come worship me. And God says, I will block that thought process in your enemies' minds so they won't even think about coming to your house and taking your things while you're gone worshiping me. Isn't that amazing? Now, when, they, when you return back home, they may think, why is it that we didn't go take their stuff when we had the opportunity? But what they will not have realized was Israel had a partner. Wouldn't you love to have a partner like that? Wouldn't you love to have a partner, number four, in Israel's battles? In your battles, God fighting those for you and with you. The background to 2 Kings chapter 6 and verse 14. Israel and Assyria have been at war for a long time. And battle after battle, Israel keeps on winning. And they're always in the right place. It's always the right time. And they always get the right outcome. And the Syrian king begins to think there must be a, a spy, a traitor in our camp that's given Israel's commanders inside information. And one who was wise says, no, 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 O king. That's not what's going on here. Israel has a prophet by the name of Elisha. And Elisha knows everything that you do. Even in your bedchamber at night, your, your slipper can't fall off of your feet onto the floor without him knowing about it. That's how closely you are monitored. Well, when he hears about this, He's thinking, I'm going to take out Elisha. Where's he at? They find out he's in the city of Dothan. And so he sends a huge army to surround that city. Let's, let's read that story. Starting with verse 14. Then he sent horses and chariots and a strong force there. They went by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God, that's Elisha's servant, got up and he went out early the next morning, an army with horses and chariots had surrounded the city. Oh my Lord, he says to Elisha, what shall we do? This servant is in a panic. This servant doesn't see what Elisha sees. And Elisha says to him, don't be afraid. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed, oh Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he looked and saw the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha and, of course, around his servant. Is he afraid anymore? No. Why? He now sees their partner. He now sees what Elisha sees. And he is almost like daring the enemy to make a move because he knows they'll be destroyed just like that. Well, wouldn't it be great to have a partner like that? Here's the point. We'll wrap it up with this. We do. We do have a partner like that. His name is Jesus Christ. But here's the takeaway, folks. It's not automatic. You have got to choose to enter into this agreement, this joint participation, this partnership. How do you do that? 
through faith in Jesus Christ alone. You repent of your sins and you put him on in baptism. It's the first thing a believer does. This past week, we've been looking at the various accounts of conversion in uh, the New Testament, all in the book of Acts. And we see there that when people that were far from God, seeking God, had a willing worker and they connected to this gracious God, the first thing they did, it says immediately, they were baptized into Christ. In my college days, the director of our school came in and gave an inspirational speech to us preacher boys. And his name was Klein Payton. And he, and he read a book, and he shared from that book. And the book talked about the worst thing that the author of this book could imagine. Here, here's what it was. He said, the worst thing I could think of happening to me would be to die and stand before the judgment seat of God. And God to say to me, depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And then the author says, no, that's not true. I thought of something worse. And when Klein read that, he goes, man, what could be worse than that? I mean, all those preacher boys are thinking, what could be worse than hearing that? And then he read a little further in the book. And it went something like this. Just before going out into outer darkness, if the Lord were to say, stop, just for a moment. Look up here on this big screen here. I want you to see what your life would have been like if you'd have made me your partner here on earth. And on that screen, he, he was to show and reveal what your life would have been like. The joy, the blessing, the opportunities, the work that could have been accomplished if we had only partnered with God. And then you were to go into outer darkness where the Bible says there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That gnashing of teeth is the idea of regret because now your hell will be throughout eternity what could have been if you'd only made Jesus Christ your partner. Don't let that story be your story. You can do something about that today. Let's pray about it. Heavenly Father, just as you partnered with Adam and Eve, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Abraham's wife Sarah, Moses, the apostles, you come to us this morning saying, you want to partner with us too. And that starts by having a relationship with your son Jesus Christ. Open our eyes that we may see all the resources you have given to us to accomplish the great things that you have in store for our lives until Jesus comes back. And now, Father, in the meantime, you've told us to gather around your Lord's table to remember your death, burial, and resurrection and to eat of the elements, the bread, the fruit of the vine, and so today, as we eat this bread, drink this cup, we remember your death until you come again. And it's with grateful, thankful hearts that we eat it. In Jesus' name, amen. And so if you would with me, take the elements. We'll start with the bread, the body of Christ, which was beat, tortured, and hung on a cross. 
That should have been me on the cross. That should have been you on the cross. But He died for us in our place. And now we take the cup, the fruit of the vine, and this, this represents His blood that was shed for us. I can't shed my blood for you. You can't shed your blood for me because ours is tainted. Jesus' blood was perfect. The only, the only human being that ever lived from cradle to grave without a single sin. And He shed His blood for us. And so with grateful, thankful hearts, we partake of this cup. Let's close in prayer. Father, this Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, Great Resurrection Sunday next Sunday, we come, for, come before you upon us as we fulfill your will for our lives until you return for your church. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the Lord richly bless you and Jesus give you buckets full of peace in believing.